Live the Bible, a Biblicist podcast. Today's episode of Live the Bible will be a little unique because our guest is a book. Well, I mean, if I could actually have David Platt on the show, then I would, but probably not going to happen anytime soon. Um, He wrote a book a while ago um, called Radical, and then he wrote um, another book called Radical Together, designed for uh, churches for small groups that I hadn't heard of. And I'd read Radical a while ago, um, and it really... Um, impacted my life when I read it, but then um, when I was on uh, a missions trip, uh, one of the people that uh, I um, spent some time with on the missions trip mentioned that there was another book called Radical Together by David Platt, and I'm like, what book are you talking about? And he was telling me all these stories about it and all these things, and that it was through these books that God led him to be uh, a missionary. Anyway, so right away I knew I had to find Radical Together. You can find this uh, Amazon get it for fairly cheap off of there. I highly recommend it. If you want the quick version of my review, I would say this. Very impactful book. A biblical book, as far as it being a biblical book, uh, based off of scripture, I'll give it five out of five stars. In other words, don't really think he's making a whole lot of stuff up. He's getting it from the source. And so that's a good thing. Um, so I'll sum this up for this book, Radical Together. I want to look at some of uh, his quotes from the book and then my biggest takeaways from each chapter. Um, So that's how we're going to go through this review um, and spend some time with what he talked about. Um, He went through a lot of scripture, um, but for sake of time, we're not going to read all the scripture that he gave uh, through these. So let's dive into it. Um, The very first chapter was about uh, this. One of the worst enemies of Christians can be good things in the church. Um, he gave this illustration of someone that, and it was a true story of someone who had grown up in church, been very active in the church, and was just very busy doing all these things. And it wasn't until later in his life that he realized, man, I, I may have been doing all these things that are good, but that's not doing what God has called us to do. And so this is a quote from, uh, from that church member. He said this, You name it, and I did it. Every week my schedule was filled with church activity. I spent my life doing all the stuff in the church that I thought I was supposed to do. But I'm realizing that I have missed the most important thing, making disciples. Wow. So he talks about how he'd spent... Um, a good portion of his life as a Christian, doing all these things, staying busy, doing church stuff, but it never made one disciple. Here's my takeaways from chapter one. Number one, we must be laser focused on knowing God and making him known. If you've been paying any attention to this channel at all, we've been talking a lot lately about authenticity, authentic worship, um, and knowing God more and resting in Him. And the more that we know God, the more that we we know Him, the more that we'll want to make Him known. We won't be able to help but to declare uh, His name. So that's number the first thing. Second thing from the chapter is this. We must be willing to sacrifice good things in order to experience the great things. And so in the story of this church member, he probably did a lot of great things or good things for the church, but 
he missed out a greater thing, and that was be making disciples, missing out on the whole point. And um, let's go to the third one here because this will tie it in together. Number three, we should never just fill up a calendar with things to do, but rather we should be intentional and strategic in seeking Christ and declaring him to our neighbors. Man, um, I'm afraid that oftentimes in church life, we're just filling out a calendar. Here's some things to do. Here's an event to have. Here's a sermon series to do. Here's something we can do. Um, instead of it being the strategic plan of how are we going to make God known? How are we going to declare Christ? And, and instead we do a bunch of good things, but not doing the better thing, not doing the greater thing. Number four, um, we have limited time and limited resources. Thus, we must maximize our time and our resources. Number five, we should be willing to analyze the productivity or purpose of any program. The question is not what is wrong with this program. Rather, the question is, is it the best way to spend our time, money, and energy for the spread of the gospel? And so churches, pastors, we're all going to spend time doing things. The question is, is the best way to spend our time? Is it the best way to spend our money? Is it the best way to be using our energy to what end for the multiplication of disciples for the growth of the church so that's chapter one in the book thought it was a great way to kick off the book i felt like that kind of kind of sets that's kind of a sets the tone for the rest of the book that this is about making disciples this is about multiplication this is about being willing to make sacrifices in order to see greater things not just filling up a calendar, not just being a busy church, not just being a church that has a bunch of things to do, um, but understands that our one calling of what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, drives us right into chapter two, and chapter two is about this. The gospel that saves us from work saves us to work. Uh, here's a quote from the author, David Platt. The reality is that when you believe in Christ for salvation, you not only are declared right before God as Father, but you also begin to walk with God as friend. In addition to new birth, Jesus gives you new life, a life of joyful obedience and overflowing love. So here's some of my takeaways from chapter two. First off, we cannot earn acceptance from God. We are found acceptable to God through Jesus. And I would hope that all of you listening, watching would know that, that we are saved by grace and that even our sanctification is by grace and that we're pleasing to God because of him and because of what is he's doing in our lives. Um, not because we just have this willpower and determination to do better, do these great things. No, it's because of him transforming our lives. Uh, number two, the gospel is not legalism. The gospel is grace. And we're not working to be saved. Uh, God saved us by his grace. Those two points I have to point out because everything kind of comes from there into number three. We must avoid becoming a church full of people defending the gospel while rarely demonstrating it. A church full of people defending the gospel while rarely demonstrating it. Oh, Man, how many times we, 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 I know so many times that there's, there's Christians, there's churches, there's leaders 
that they want to experience grace for themselves and they want to defend how you know the blood of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Christ but then as believers for some reason we don't want to demonstrate that grace we don't want to give that grace we don't want to give that mercy we don't want to give people second chances we don't want to share the love of God we just want to defend it for ourselves Number four, a faith without deeds is no faith at all. We see this obviously very explicit in the book of James, that if there is no deeds with our faith, then there's a question of whether there's any faith there at all. Our faith will lead us to works. Number five, the purpose of the church is not to have events to attend and having a sense of community. It is rather a community on a mission from God. Oh, this is so important. And once again, this is all has to do with discipleship. It all kind of stems from that in this book. And this is very good. Is sometimes we think that the community is the end goal. All right, we're going to have these services that you attend. We're going to have these events for you to be a part of. And if you have a high attendance at a service or these events, then the church is being successful. Well, you might be succeeding in having community, but you might not be succeeding at being on mission as a community. Because the mission is to make disciples, to spread the gospel, to reach our neighbors. It's not just to fill up services and have this nice high rate of people interacting with each other. It's way past that. It's one-on-one. It's what am I doing on Monday and Tuesday, not just on Sunday or my small group, what am I doing to propagate the gospel? Um, Or have I succeeded because I'm faithful to attendance, but maybe not faithful to the mission? And so as a community, we have to be determined to be on mission for God, not just be active in the community. So I think that's a very good point. And he gave an example of, once again, two members in the church. One, One member basically was like, you know, I'm saved by grace and didn't do anything, just filled the pew. And then you have this other church member that was working really hard to please God and didn't understand what grace was and all these things just out of guilt and trying to serve him. And they were both wrong. We're saved by grace. And this grace by which we are saved then transforms us unto good works. Chapter three. Chapter three is about the word does the work. The word, meaning the Bible, does the work. Uh, David Brainerd said this, Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. And here's another quote from the author, David Platt. You and I can trust this word. It forms and fulfills, motivates and mobilizes, equips and empowers, leads and directs the people of God in the church for the plan of God in the world. This will automatically make everything easy in the church. But as long as Christians together are prayerfully and humbly asking what the plan of God is in his word for his people and are abandoning our lives to it, we will be unleashing a radical people. And we'll dive into what this chapter talked about. Number one, my takeaways from this. Number one, God's word will reshape me and it can reshape our neighbors. God's word is going to reshape me. When I dive into scripture and I'm just submitting myself to what God has to tell me from his word, 
it's going to reshape me. And if I believe that, I know that to be true, then it's true that this same word can transform my neighbor's life. Number two, God's word is sufficient. We do not need to become creative. I think we're, especially as Americans, really bad at this. It's like we think God's word is not sufficient to get the work done. We need to have the most creative sermon titles, the best sermon series names, the most best looking videos, the most amazing song service, you know, the whole thing. Like, and, and I think there can be some nice things that, that churches can do in services, and I think it, there's nothing wrong with that. But if we think that it's that creativity that's going to reach people and change people's lives instead of the actual word of God changing people's lives, then we're missing Something that's desperately important here. Is God's word sufficient or not? Is it dependent on me having the best way of saying it, delivering it just this amazing way in a sermon packaged perfectly? Or is it the truth itself that matters? Um, Number three, God's word must always trump our thoughts, opinions, and philosophies, especially our preconceived ones. That means when we're going into scripture and we're having church together, then that means I got to take away my filters of my experiences and my church experiences and my ideas or my training and like, oh, we have to do it this way. Like, well, no, let's just filter it through scripture alone and not my experience and my opinions. And, and it's hard when we have preconceived ideas that are there. And so when we see something, no, we can't do that or we shouldn't do it this way or whatever. Like, no, it's got to be filtered through scripture. If God's word is going to transform, like we got to filter it through that. If we want to mobilize the church, mobilize believers to impact people for discipleship, we have to be willing to let go all the things that we think have to be and just do and be what scripture says. Um, Number four, all churches have and will have traditions, but man-made traditions should never be considered equivalent to God's word. This is such an important, important takeaway from this chapter. Nothing wrong with having a tradition. Like examples that I constantly give about this, and I think I did a whole episode on that before, is you could have the tradition of, you know, for instance, we meet at Sunday morning at 11 o'clock at this location for this amount of time. There's literally nothing wrong with that. But if you think that if you don't meet on Sunday at that location at that time for that designated piece of time, that, oh, that's wrong. Can't do it that way. If you think that it's wrong or right, it has to be this way, this way over a tradition. No, no, no. It's just going to be scripture. It's going to be what the Bible says. And my uh, fifth takeaway from uh, chapter three is we must commit to reading the Bible, living the Bible, and teaching the Bible. The church cannot afford to neglect one of these. Because if you read the Bible and live the Bible but don't teach it, then you're probably not making disciples like you're supposed to be. If you live the Bible, or you're trying to live the Bible and trying to teach the Bible but not reading it, then you're probably living it wrong. You're probably not teaching it very (laughs) accurately. Um, Or if you're reading it and teaching other people how they're supposed to live their lives, but you're not living it yourself, that's That's no good either. The church, we have to be doing all of these things. So that's chapter three. Now chapter four talked about this. And 
this is something that probably isn't talked about very often, but I think we probably shouldn't neglect this. Um, chapter four is about building the right church. Uh, building the right church depends on using all the wrong people. Right church, wrong people. Um, I could dive into it, but I'll get ahead of myself. Here's uh, a quote. Here's a couple of quotes from David Platt from the book. Um, the goal of the church is never for one person to be equipped and empowered to lead as many people as possible to Christ. The goal is always for all of God's people to be equipped and empowered to lead as many people as possible to Christ. Whew. Really important quote right there. It's not about this pers- perfect evangelist, this perfect pastor, this perfect speaker. We're all supposed to be evangelists. Like We're all supposed to be reaching people with the gospel. Um, another quote from the book. Too often, churches in America focus on performances, places, programs, and professionals. But if the spread of the gospel is dependent on these things, we will never reach the ends of the earth. What's missing here is people. In Jesus' simple command to make disciples, he has invited every one of his followers to share his life with others in a sacrificial, intentional, global effort to multiply the gospel through others. This includes not just the right people, our most effective communicators, most brilliant organizers, and most talented leaders and artists, but also the wrong people, those who are least effective, brilliant, or talented in the church. Wow, once again, really, really important lines from the book. So here's my five takeaways from chapter four. Number one, each and every believer has a role in the church and each and every role is important. If that's not possible in your church, then we're doing something wrong. If everyone's not important, if everyone's role is not important, then we're doing something wrong. If there's only room for, you know, the pastors or musicians and a couple of small group leaders and this and that's it. That's everybody. That's it. like if that's all you have room for is just these these trained professionals or people that, you know, this is it. This is your group. And we're missing the point. All roles are important. Every role in the church is vitally important. And every person in the church has a role. It's not about, you know, I'm all right. You know, I can't really witness to people. I'm going to seem to bring them and have someone else talk to them. Like, no, you should be equipped to also win people to Christ. Uh, number two, all disciples of Christ are called to make disciples of Christ. Not just pastors, not just Sunday school teachers, not just small group leaders, all right, not just people who've you know been to seminary or Bible college. Like, no, every person who is a believer, every disciple is supposed to be a disciple maker. Number three, the church is not designed to entertain people, but rather to edify saints and call sinners to repentance. This is such a great, great takeaway. The, the purpose of the church. I'm going to say it again. The church is not designed to entertain people, but rather to edify saints and call sinners to repentance. Is that what we're doing? Are we edifying this, the saints? Are we calling sinners to repentance? Is that what we're doing as the church? Or are we just calling people to assemble and be entertained and feel encouraged, but maybe not challenged and edified? Maybe not challenged to dive into scripture, not, not challenged to pursue Christ and to seek sanctification? and not seeking our neighbors to proclaim the gospel to them. 
I don't know, number four. No matter the age or ability, all children of God are on earth for his glory. No matter the age or ability, all children of God are on earth for his glory. That means you. That means me. We're here for his glory for no other reason. Number five, the church will have diversity and gifting, but each member has the same spirit of God living inside of them. Don't forget that. When you think you're so special because you have a college degree or because you have all these years of experience or because you've made this many disciples or you whatever it is, whatever whatever you are are good at. Like let's say you just like that's what you've done, that's what you've accomplished. Don't forget that your fellow believers, they have the same Holy Spirit living inside them. That's sanctifying them. That's changing them. That is gifting them and enabling them. Don't forget that. We're one in Christ. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 is about this. Living for the end of the world. And this was probably one of my favorite chapters in the book, other than the first chapter, which I think we laid a good foundation. Here's a couple of quotes. Is it really possible to have all the trappings of the church and yet miss the heart of Christ? Is it possible for the church people to be so focused on personal comforts and so fearful of the potential cost that they virtually forget the purpose of God among all the peoples of the world? As I ask these questions, I realize the answers. Of course this is possible. Much of what we have seen in American Christianity proves it. Statement hurts. Here's another quote from the same chapter. I do not presume to know all of God's motives, but I will propose this. You and I have been given the great mercy of God for a global mission from God. He has called, commissioned, and commanded each of us as Christians to give ourselves to the spread of his gospel in every part of the earth. All nations, all tribes, all languages, sorry, all language groups, and all peoples will one day hear this news, and then the end will come. As a result, every church that passionately loves the gospel of Christ and patiently longs for the coming of Christ will purposefully live for the glory of Christ among those who have never heard his name. We are living and longing for the end of the world. Five takeaways. Number one. If we become bored or complacent, it is because we have forgotten our calling. We are living to spread the name of Jesus to all nations, to all peoples, to all groups, to every corner of the earth. This is our calling. This is the purpose of the church until Jesus returns. This is a great undertaking, the greatest undertaking that is, has ever been given to mankind. Uh, what should we do today? Maybe we forgot. We've forgotten what Christ has called us to. Number two, as the church, we must be intentional in arming and mobilizing our people for the spread of the gospel. Got to be intentional. We've got to do a better job of making disciples of an, if mobilizing people, arming people with the gospel. 
um, and helping them accomplish our mission. Number three, we need to ask ourselves, am I willing to do whatever it takes for the proclamation of the gospel? Man, this book does not ease up. This book does not ease up at all. Let me say that again. We've got to ask ourselves this question. Am I willing to do whatever it takes for the proclamation of the gospel? Read Acts sometime and see what people are willing to do. Number four. From our friends and family to our neighbors and our city to our state and country and to the very ends of the earth, we are called to make his name known. Number five, our purpose is to glorify God, and our mission is to declare him to the nations. All right, very last chapter of the book, chapter six, was about this, for God's glory alone. Once again, another quote from the book. Here we go. The reality is that you and I, your church and my church, all the structures we have constructed and all the stuff we've created could turn to dust. sobering thought and God could still make a great name for himself among the nations God does not involve us in his grand global purpose because he needs us he involves us in his grand global purpose because he loves us so here we sit with the gospel of God in our hearts with the gift of God known as the church, and with a grand and gracious invitation from God to lock arms with one another in the passionate spread of his glory to the ends of the earth. As though we believe our highest prize is his global praise. Five takeaways from the last chapter of this book. Number one, God does not need you or me. Number two, God does not need my church. Number three, God does not need our conferences, plans, programs, budgets, buildings, etc., etc., etc. We, number four, we will have plans and methods. But we will worship God, not our plans and methods. Number five, when we recognize our place in his plan, we will walk humbly and live courageously. And that is all my takeaways from the book, Radical Together, by David Platt, highly recommend it. Um, if you have, if you don't have this book, haven't read it, I recommend uh, buying it online, ordering that. Uh, maybe I'll put a link in the description below, uh, so you can order that. He tell uses a lot of scripture, uses a lot of stories, not just like made up like cute stories, like stories that he's personally experienced and and church members' stories as well and their journeys through that. And um, for a while, he he pastored one of uh, the largest Southern Baptist churches in the country, and um, they just did a lot of radical things with their budget, different things, amazing stories that call into question, um, especially within American Christianity, like, what are we doing? Like, are we doing church right? Are we doing church wrong? Like, 
is this just, just a big game or is this just about me being comfortable and you know, are we so caught up in the American dream that we kind of forgot who we are as believers? Um, I think that this book does a great job of making that very practical and breaking that down for you. And what does that mean for you as a believer? What does that mean for our churches? So highly recommend uh, this book. Like I said, five out of five stars for being biblical. Whatever jumped out to you the most from any of those chapters, any of the things that I pointed out, please put a note in the comments about what stood out to you the most. Uh, maybe something that really shook you or Man, you're like, wow, I never thought of that before. Uh, please let me know in the comments or email me at thebiblicistpodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe, like, and share. The percentage of people that watch these videos, listen to this podcast, that are, that are not subscribed is like, it's like, here's how many people are subscribed. Here's how many people aren't subscribed. So please subscribe, like, and share. Um, and, and share the word. Hope you enjoyed, honestly, this, this book review, this episode of Live the Bible, this very practical um, in talking about how we're supposed to live out our lives. And may we be focused and stay on mission. God bless.